Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but for most people, tests are tough. I mean, even a blood test, you go in there, you roll up your sleeve, uh, will I pass? Is my blood red? I don't know. It kind of looks blue under my veins. But some folks get really nervous and other people are just really excited. I used to know some of the smartest kids in my class choked up when it came to tests. But me, on the other hand, I loved them. I don't know why, but I just love tests and especially true or false tests. Because I knew that there was at least a 50% chance that I would get it right. And when I can narrow my possibility of error, it's always a good thing for me. And that's why we've entitled tonight's message, True or False, You Must Decide. Tests are important, however. They go even beyond our school years. One of my favorite shows is, I know I talk a lot about TV. You know why? Because I probably watch too much TV. That's why. I know I should be talking to you about some of the greater books that I've read, but that would probably bore you. But one of the shows on TLC is The World's Dirtiest Jobs. You guys ever seen that show? Come on. Be brave. Raise your hand. Okay. I happen to not have one of the world's dirtiest jobs. I have one of the best jobs. But he go, the guy, the host of the show, goes through these various jobs that are just gross unimaginable jobs. And so this week, his job was to clean out septic tanks. Yeah. And the guy that he was working with had a huge truck that he stored all of this garbage, this waste in, and he called it his honeypot. Kind of gross when you think about it. Well, the better part of the job was sticking a hose down in this septic tank and drawing out all the garbage. But one of the worst parts of the job is when he had to completely cover himself in protective gear and a face mask, and he had to enter down into the hole of doom. And would have to clean this out. Now, one of the things that caught my eye is that in order to do so, they had a little feed of a tester that came down into the septic tank that let you know the presence of dangerous noxious fumes and deadly gas that could be produced in there. And so if an alarm went off, he would have to get out there immediately. Tests are very important for drinking water. In fact, one of the most prominent positions in ancient days was the wine tester or the food tester. It was the guy who had to stand next to the king. He was a very close confidant. But every evening, imagine having this job. Right before the king eats his wonderful meal, someone comes to you with sort of a cracked smile. I guess you'll probably want to taste this first. In those days, like in days today, we had kings who would have threats on their lives and would be easily poisoned. So imagine, you could go on for many years having a great job and then all of a sudden you receive the poisoning. Testing is very important. All right, let's look in verse 1. There is a call here for testing, and it's testing a spiritual environment. 
He said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I want to draw your attention to the first word that he uses here. It's beloved. It's the Greek word agapetoi. And he's, what he's saying is, beloved ones. I love the tender tones that John uses with the family of God. He uses little children. He uses the term of family. And, you know, I think that is the best way to live and to think about those who are in the body of Christ. When you look around this room, when you go around the planet, when you think of believers, the first thought on your mind should be, these people are beloved of the Lord. And you know what? They're also beloved of me. He cares and wants what's best for them. And you know, sometimes I think we forget that. Sometimes we forget that one of the greatest joys and experiences that we have as believers is believing the best, hoping for the best, and always wanting the best, caring for believers around us. And that will keep us, my friends, from lots of divisions and fights that we have for each other. You know, it's real easy sometimes when you see a brother who's sort of been playing on the edge. He hasn't been doing things quite right. And you know, oh boy, that guy's going to get it. I know that, you know, he's just playing with trouble and I'm going to see it pretty soon. And I know he's going to fall. And then all of a sudden he falls and you go, well, I thought so. I didn't tell him so, but I thought so. It's real easy to believe the worst. And I love his example here. Believing the absolute best about each other, beloved ones. It's his loving tone. But notice also he has a very passionate tone here. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit. Now there's a couple of phrases here. One is do not believe, and the other is test. They're both strong Commands. They're in the imperative in the Greek. So as if to say, he would say, do not believe or please stop believing or be sure and test and make sure what you're doing. It wasn't this sort of nice little suggestion that he would come along and say, well, you know, it would probably be good if you stop believing false things or if you put certain things to test. It is this great desire. He is calling out, Beloved ones, those who are loved of God, my brothers and sisters, do not believe false spirits. Test every spirit. And it comes across as a command. Now, when was the last time that you received a command as an adult? Not many of you. I mean, the last time I received a command was when I went to the isotopes game and I saw the sign across the street that says walk. All of a sudden there's a walk, don't walk. Kids receive them all the time. But this is a command by John, through John, by the Holy Spirit to us. All right. You know, the test, the word used for test here, means to... Put to test for the purpose of approving or finding that a person has met certain specifications that have been laid down, able to put one's approval on them. That's what it means. Truth and error are in contradistinction to each other. Now, you know that. 
And it's been debated throughout the centuries whether truth goes around the globe faster or a lie goes around the globe faster. It was Mark Twain who said that truth is still tying its shoes while a lie has already circled the globe two times. But I love what the Roman historian had to say. He said these words, Truth is confirmed by inspection and delay. Falsehood by haste and uncertainty. Being a television watcher, I'll confess more to you. Some of the commercials that really get my attention are those that promise fast weight weight loss. Have you ever seen those? If you'll buy our product today... The first payment will only be $75, but in two months, you too will go from this to this, you know. (laughs) And then they had the little, you know, thing at the bottom that said, um, results may vary from person to person. There's no true average in this. And you've seen those things and your first response is, oh, let's get it. Honey, call right now. Get the the credit card out. Let's make the uh, deposit. But then, in reality, as you experience and you investigate, you realize that everyone keeps saying, steady diet, exercise, and plenty of rest. But truth is much slower to receive than a lie. A lie usually holds some type of enticement. Now, why is this important? He tells us because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Back in the Old Testament, all the way thousands of years ago, false prophets were already on the rise. And I think I'll tell you why they were already on the rise. It's whenever truth is presented, it seems that there is a counterfeit right on the heels of the truth. Have you noticed that? Anytime a real expression of God or a true idea hits the plane or hits the public, there are all of these falsities arising. Deuteronomy chapter 13, if you'd like to turn there, look with me at verse 1. It's a very telling passage. He says, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder... And the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he has spoken to you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul. You, however, shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. Interesting two things to note about this is that he doesn't deny that the thing that this prophet spoke comes true. In fact, there are deceiving, lying wonders that are able to come to pass. But the unique thing is is that he says, if it draws you away from God, reject this man. In fact, if you read a little further, it calls for the public stoning to death of this person. It's calls for, to put them to death. Now here we need to think just for a second before we review a false prophet. What is a prophet? Very simply, in the Old Testament, a prophet was somebody who spoke forth or proclaimed the Word of God. And that could be almost anyone. 
But the unique thing that we see in the Old Testament as well as in the New is that the prophet was in constant communion and connection with God by a very unique means. And so the idea is that God would speak to him, he would have a relationship with him, and then this man would go out to the people and proclaim God's word. He had God's message. But his job from God was to turn God's people to the Lord to following the Lord. You often had messages that were very tough that said, hey, you guys need to repent. Others were messages of comfort, but this person was God's representative. The other thing that we notice about a prophet is that he was never to promote himself. You know, back in the earlier days of this country, while the country was growing and spreading across this very vast landmass, there was developed what was known as the Pony Express. And the Pony Express riders became very popular in the U.S. And they became unique folk figures. Very few of their names are ever remembered. But what is most remembered about them and their importance is completely derived from the fact that they carried a message from point A to point B. And if there was no message, there would be no need for the Pony Express driver. So therefore, the prophet has no real value as to who he is directly without connection to God. All right, in the New Testament, look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul here speaking about spiritual gifts says that he gave some to be apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or mature man, to the measure of the stature, which is the fullness of Christ. Prophets in the New Testament were given for the same reasons. They would proclaim or speak forth the words of God to God's people or even to the world so that they would be built up, knit together, and grow. That was their calling. Now look with me in the New Testament to the false prophets. Keep your finger in 1 John and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. First thing that we notice about these false prophets is that they have a very destructive nature. They're sort of like a disease that once it gets into a healthy body, it begins to feed upon it and destroy it. Verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 2. But there are also false prophets among the people, even as there were false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies and denying the Lord who brought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, pay close attention to this. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of the truth is blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with their deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. All right, flip over to Jude and we'll look at verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For 
certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our Lord into lewdness and deny the only Lord and our Lord, Je- our only Lord and God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, a bright light always attracts bugs. It always does. In fact, every time that I drive home back to Texas, I think most of the bugs in the world are in that part of Texas where I grew up. Because, you know, you drive around here in Albuquerque and New Mexico, and you may have a few mosquitoes hit you. But it seems once I cross the border and head right into Texas, by the time I get to my mom's house, the front grill, if I've been driving at night, is caked with this gross goo of all the assortment of animals that have dived to the light. But bright light, the bright light of the gospel attracts all types of weird bugs with all types of different reasons for doing so. You know, parasites seek a host. Are you guys familiar with tapeworms? You guys, come on, you can raise your hand. You've looked in the Encyclopedia Britannica. You stayed a little too long on the article. You read too much. You know too much. It's hard to sleep at night. You look up at your wife the next day, honey, you think I have a tapeworm? I don't, who, how would I know? Well, I, I've read that they can get up to 25 feet long. I mean, what if I have one of these in me? The thought of a tapeworm is disgusting, but it's a parasite. It can't live on its own. It's always looking for a host, a healthy body to grow on. And these false prophets are exactly like that. They need something healthy. So you'll think, hey, you're a false prophet. Why don't you just go out in the middle of nowhere? But it seems that they always show up somewhere in the church because they need a host to cling on to because there's no real life in a false prophet. He's sort of a spiritual tapeworm, if you will, feeding on the body of Christ. Now, there is a spirit that is behind the prophets, either true or false. And it's mentioned here. Believe not every spirit, but test the spirits. Because not everything is from God. And it uses this phrase throughout this passage, through these six verses. Ektutheu. Not everything is out from God or has God as its source. Therefore, test them. Now, the word for spirit here is penuma. And the word is used as it refers in one in whom a spirit is manifested or embodied. Hence, one actuated by a spirit, whether divine or demonical. These spirits are human beings either used by demons or by the Holy Spirit for a particular message, idea, or concept. You know, it's kind of a weird thought. You know, remember that old song by Bob Dylan? You're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Now, you don't have to listen to Bob Dylan, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And there are powers and forces that are at work that help move along particular ideas and events in this world. Let's look at the two choices. The first choice is the Holy Spirit. 
Keep your finger here in John and look with me at the Gospel of John chapter 16. I know I'm working your hands out a lot, but you kind of get, it's actually aerobic if you're flipping pages through your Bible. We have the helper. He says, I still have many things to say to you in verse 12, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you of things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Flip over into the book of Acts, verse 1. He says in verse 8, or chapter 1 and verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The contrast for the believer is that behind us, the message behind us, the driving force behind us is not our own mind, our own intellect, but it is our mind, intellect, life, and heart, and very being energized by Jesus Himself, by His Holy Spirit. And so sometimes you'll find yourself saying things that sound very spiritual. And you kind of surprise yourself. You say, wow, how did I come up with that? I should write that down and send it off to some Christian card company. It sounds really good. Or maybe start my own website. But it's actually the Spirit of God taking what is Jesus's, taking God's Word and speaking them through you. And so as you grow in Christ, you may find that your vocabulary gets much better and much higher on a spiritual term. You guys ever notice that? I mean, sometimes I can impress... The best of people. I could possibly even impress a Pope if I was taken to the Vatican. But that's because I see the Lord's work in me and I see a change in me and it is the Spirit of God who is actually speaking through the person. Now here's the opposite, the false spirit. First Timothy 4 verse 1 He says, now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Back in 1 John chapter 4, he says, This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is in the world. Antichrist, as we've mentioned before, is someone who was mentioned in Daniel and in the New Testament and eventually will come upon the scene to oppose the works of God. But the name anti not only means against, but it also means instead of. And so this spirit of this antichrist has already infiltrated into the world and what he does is he puts himself against the work of God and he also sets up a falsity or a falseness, or a pseudo-truth in opposition to the things of God. Now, 1 Corinthians 11, this is where it gets really ugly. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 13. This is probably one of the most puzzling verses I've ever read. For such are false prophets, false apostles rather, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, 
For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing for his ministers to transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Outward beauty is no sign of inward truth, is it? Outward beauty is no sign of inward truth. You can spend all day making up this flesh, this body, this flesh and bones. But really what is inside is something that God knows. He says that the heart is wicked and deceitful. Above all things, who can know it? Back to another one of my favorite shows, Mythbusters. It's, it's on TLC. It's probably the only channel that I should ever watch. Well, there's a couple of guys who, who like to take a myth and then try to debunk the myth. Well, in one of their shows, they did something that I think exemplifies this truth. They took a beautiful Corvette and they gutted it and they didn't have an engine in it or anything. And they placed, get this, two dead pig carcasses inside the Corvette. And they taped it up, sealed it up, and put it into a storage unit. And then in 30 days, they pulled it out and then tried to clean it up and sell it to someone. Now, the myth was that if there was some kind of decayed body in a car, everyone would be able to detect it. And they thought, well, we'll be able to clean it up. Well, they tried to sell the car. It had been cleaned up. It looked really nice. It was beautiful. It was the right price. And as soon as people opened up the door, oh, the gagging and the hissing and the coughing began. Even though it was beautiful on the outside, it was no indication of, brother, what was left on the inside. It was a mess. And that's the case with these false workers. That's the way Satan is. And and here's the point I want to bring to you. There are bugs in the camp. There are false prophets and tapeworms in the camp. And not every one of them looks like a gross bug or a gross parasite. Many of them, like Satan himself, come in very beautiful fashion and speak wonderful, perfect words to people. And you listen to them and you'll say, Oh, what a spiritual person. But John is commanding us, rather the Holy Spirit is commanding us to test it and to do further investigation and actually find out whether it's true or not. Now, why is that important? Just like your natural food, your spiritual food needs to be pure and healthy. You know, if you think that you can get by on a diet of fast food, we know from research that you're probably not going to be that healthy. And so you have to investigate and find what's there. And if you and I think that we can ingest poison, spiritual poison, and there's a lot of it out there. If we think that we can ingest spiritual poison and be fine with that, my friends, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, the Lord Himself disagrees with that statement. Now, that doesn't mean that we, be, we have to become the great sin sniffers of our society. 
And we have to tell all of our friends about, well, here's false doctrine, here's false doctrine, here's false doctrine. And pretty soon you begin to look at everything ugly that exists in the Christian world. And it's easy to become, if that's what you do, to become dismayed and say, everything is false. That's not the point. The point is to be able to test and discern so that you're not breathing poison air or taking in poison into your body. Your spiritual health matters. Look with me at 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. He gives for us a way to test doctrine. While you're turning there, I'd like to read to you a little excerpt from an old document known as the Didache. And it was known as the teaching. It was the teaching of the Twelve. And it was found to be dated back to sometime around the second century, right in the the early portion of the second century. But it was a compilation of early Christian beliefs and practices. And I like sort of like a little manual for churches. I'd like to read you a little section about prophets. It's pretty telling. He says, Now concerning the apostles and prophets, deal with them as follows in accordance with the rule of the gospel. Let every apostle who comes to you be welcomed as if he were the Lord. But, (laughs) here it comes. But if he stays more than one day, unless there is a need, in which case he may stay another. But if he stays three days, he is a false prophet. (laughs) And when the apostle leaves, he's to take nothing except bread until he finds his next night's lodging. But if he asks for money, he's a false prophet. However, not everyone who speaks in the Spirit is a prophet, but only if he exhibits the Lord's way. You ever notice, you you notice some guys, some ministries, and, and they're talking about their planes and all of this stuff, and you think, man... You know, it seemed to me that Jesus and his disciples sort of walked along and, and uh, they carried nothing with them and they didn't hang on to this world. And all I do is I keep seeing this guy ask for money and I, I'm confused. Well, the early church wasn't very confused. In fact, I'll read you a little further here. He said, but if anyone should say in the spirit in a service, give me money or anything else, do not listen to him. But if he tells you to give on behalf of others who are in need, let no one judge him. Everyone who comes in the name of the Lord is welcome, but then examine him. And you'll find out, for you will have insight what is true and what is false. You and I have been given the Spirit. We have been given the Word of God. And you and I have the ability to discern between what is true and what is false. Look with me at verse 2 of chapter 4. By this, you know the Spirit of God. And this is the testing of doctrine. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and now already in the world. Here's the simple test. If you want to find out, What the person is speaking is true or not, if they're speaking religious things. Go straight to the heart and find out what they believe about Jesus. This little phrase that is used here is a very technical phrase about doctrine. 
He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. That every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is of God. Jesus, the name in Greek, Jesus, Hebrew, Joshua or Yeshua, means Jehovah or Yahweh is salvation. That was his name. Now, it could have been given any name, but that was his name. Jehovah or Yahweh or the one true God is salvation in himself. Christ, the second part of his name, Jesus Christ, Christ is Christos or in the Hebrew, Messiah or Messiah, and it means anointed one. And it dates all the way back to the time of Moses where he prophesied that one would come who would save their people from their sins. One who would be anointed, who would lead the people. And this was that anointed one or the Mashiach or the Christ who would come. So Yahweh is salvation. He is the anointed one and he has come into the flesh. If you'll remember, we discussed the Gnostic heresies. These guys didn't believe that humanity or this flesh could somehow be connected with deity. In fact, they rejected the whole idea that Jesus was actually a real corporeal, in a corporeal body, in a real fleshly body. Because all flesh or all matter is wicked. So the Son of God couldn't be in real flesh. He was more of a phantom. Well, John here is rejecting that. And you'll notice the dividing line between all the cults and real, true Christianity has to do with the nature and person of Jesus Christ. I don't have time to go into all of them tonight. But I'll say this. They always reject the deity somehow. He was a good man. He was the first in creation. He was the first fruits. But he was not deity. Or if he was, he was a little god in performance only. Or he was the brother of Lucifer. And it goes on and on and on. But it rejects this formal statement that says, Jesus Christ, Yahweh is salvation, preexistent deity has come into the flesh. Now... It begs the question, how are we qualified to make this judgment? Look with me at verse 4. He says, you are of God. Ektu theu, little children, and have have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The word there, the verb that is used for overcome is in the perfect tense. It's the word nikeo which means to overcome or to conquer. And he says about the believer, this is an interesting thing. Not that you have to overcome later, but because you are born of the Spirit of God and you are a believer right now, you have already overcome with the present result. Right now, you have overcome the world. Not that you have to do it later, but that because you're in Jesus right now, you have overcome with the present state that you have overcome the world. And here's the good news. That greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Satan does not have the same power as God. He is not the equal and opposite representation of God. He's not. 
He is a created being with very limited power. However powerful he is, he has very limited power. The word here that is used for greater is zone, and it comes from megas. It could be translated, it's not really good English to translate it like this, but it could be translated, bigger is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, when I was a kid, bigger was always better when it came to fighting. If I was going to get in a fight, I always want to be on the side of the toughest guy, right? You don't want to be a part of any, you know, with any pansies who can't really throw any blows. You need some tough guy who's like, stand over here, son, I'll take care of it. And my response, because since I was such a scrawny little kid, was always, I'm with him. You better not do anything or mess with me because I'm with this guy. Greater or bigger or tougher is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That should give us great comfort as we live through this life. God is bigger than any enemy that you and I will ever face, the devil. He's bigger than any temptation that you and I could ever face. Any struggle, anything that you're going through right now. The overcoming element of His life is in you and it is greater and bigger than your pain. It's greater and bigger than the sorrow that you're experiencing right now. It's greater and bigger even than death. We have overcome the world. Look with me at verse 5 and 6 and we'll close. Here's the result of our testing. He says, They are of the world... Therefore, they speak as the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us, and he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Notice that last phrase. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they will not follow another. We have become so accustomed or you should be becoming so accustomed to the words of Jesus that whenever you hear a lie, it causes you or I to stop, to pause, to take out our Bibles and see if this is true. You may not have perfect recall of the scripture every day of your life. Chances are you're like me and you don't. But praise God that he put it in a book, white pages, black letters, for us to constantly review and go back to for the rest of our lives. So you'll have this check in your spirit and you'll say, that doesn't sound right. And you'll go to the word or you'll call a friend and you'll work it out and you'll realize that that was the spirit of God letting you know, hey man, there is something false here. And you and I have the confidence that we're able to navigate through this world. Possessing this ability to test the Spirit gives us confidence and resolve as we walk through this life. And if we ever needed anything as believers, we need confidence and resolve in this world. And I just want to leave you with these words. Be strong. Be prepared. And be ready to share with those around you the truth of this word. 
Be able to recognize the false and have a ready answer for those who are struggling. And don't do so with a spirit of, well, I'm better than you. I know more than you. Aren't you glad that I came along? You're so lost. The idea should be, hey, buddy, hey, sister, let me tell you, that's garbage. You don't want to take any of that in. It's poison. But I've got a substitute. I've got the real deal for you right now. See, it's more than just us coming together, listening to a Bible study and saying, well, that was kind of informative. He read a lot of scripture, but it was okay. It's the idea that I walk away from here changed and transformed, ready to reach into a world that is desperately waving its hands. Hey, would somebody just show me the truth? Would somebody tell me what's going on? And you are able to come along and say, yes, I can by God's grace. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.